Today we are talking to Colin. Hi, Colin. Hi, Jason. Uh, Colin is a software developer working on Cursive. Um, so, what is Cursive, Colin? So, Cursive is uh, it's an IDE for developing Clojure and Clojure Script code. Um, it's it's not actually strictly in a standalone IDE at the moment. So, it's actually a plugin to IntelliJ, which is uh, probably the best known Java IDE um, these days. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way someone would use it is they would download IntelliJ and then they would install Cursive into that. Um, JetBrains who make IntelliJ actually do have the functionality that will allow me to one day create a standalone IDE out of it. But um, there's there's quite a lot of black magic involved in doing that. So I, I haven't done that yet. And probably it's um, harder to support as well because there's different versions for different platforms. So right now it, it's a plugin for IntelliJ that adds Clojure and Clojure Script functionality to, um, to IntelliJ. And what does it support? What does it do? Well, so it, it supports Clojure and and Clojure Script, obviously. Is it? Um, and so it provides everything that you would kind of expect in IntelliJ from um, from a language support uh, point of view. So it uh, it includes um, support for the for the main build tools. There's support for Depths.Eden in there um, more recently, and Liningen as well. Um, I don't have good support for boot, unfortunately, which is something that I, that I know a lot of Clojure Script users would be interested in. So basically, because it integrates into IntelliJ, it has all the functionality you would expect from that. So it has you know great integration with Git and version control and um, you know local history. All all the sort of has a really sophisticated editor. Um, and then from from the Clojure and Clojure Script point of view. Um, it adds all the sort of language support, so navigation around your program, finding usages of things. Um, it has some refactorings in there. They're, they're still fairly basic. I'm hoping to um, to um, work on those soon. Um, but yeah, so, so it has pretty much everything you need to develop Clojure and Clojure Script code, I hope. Right. I mean, I think it's uh, from the all the editors that we have, I think uh, the most beloved one is Emacs uh, by a lot of people. Uh, so I think this one is actually, for me, the most complete and I think the easiest sort of to set up because I know with Emacs, you always need to spend a lot of time configuring this stuff. Uh, is there anything, maybe if we ask the question from the other side, is there anything that it doesn't do from like, you know, development workflow or anything like this? Is there anything um, missing? Well, so so some of the build tool integrations that I would like, like particularly for um, for Clojure Script developers, uh, I know one of the main um, a lot of Clojure Script developers moved over to Boot when that came out and got popular because it had a, a much nicer workflow for working with Clojure Script than um, than Liningen did. Unfortunately, Boot is very difficult to support because it's completely it's sort of completely imperative and completely programmatic. So, the one of the interesting things about Cursive is that it doesn't work by using Ripple introspection, like most of the existing Clojure editors do, so um, so it actually works by statically analyzing source code, um, and it's actually it's quite difficult in Boot. So what what IntelliJ it's really an IntelliJ limitation. What IntelliJ needs um, from a build tool is to be able to get a list of all the dependencies so that it can go off and index them, and then um, all the language support within the editor uses those indexes to do. You know, to find what you're looking for when you want to navigate to something, and so on. Um, Boot unfortunately makes that quite difficult because you ha- you essentially have to run the whole build in order to be able to get the information out of it. So um, it just doesn't map very well into what IntelliJ is inspecting. So boot support is something that that is not there. And I would l- I would also like to add a native integration for Shadow Seal JS, which seems to be getting very mm-hmm. popular now. And um, right. so Thomas actually uses uh, uses Cursive. Um, so he's he's come up with various workarounds for. It, I think he basically he 
I think Shadow has a has the possibility to export a, um, a Maven POM, and then he just he just imports that into Cursive, and that's that's kind of good enough. It's not probably not as nice as a as a fully native integration would be, but I think he can he can get by. And there's something similar for Boot as well, but it's not. Um, I think on the on the jar on the JVM side for Clojure itself, um, the, the support is definitely much more developed there because IntelliJ has a Java IDE. It's uh, it's got a lot more functionality that I can build off. So, uh, and one thing in particular that I would love to have for Clojure Script that I don't have yet is a debugger. So there's a really nice debugger for for JVM Clojure built into Cursive, or, which again builds on the on the IntelliJ one. But um, one of the problems I have is that so IntelliJ has it's a commercial product IntelliJ, but they have a free um, and open source community edition that you can use for and and that does a lot of stuff. But one of the things they put in the in the paid edition, the ultimate edition, to try to get people to use that is all the web technology, and that includes their JavaScript support. So they have really fantastic support for working with JavaScript, including a really good debugger. Um, but unfortunately, if I make Cursive use that, then it's only available to Cursive users who have paid for IntelliJ as well. And I'd, and I'd like to try and keep as much as possible feature parity between for the users who are just using the free edition. Um, of IntelliJ, so so I haven't I haven't got around that yet. I mean, it's either a matter of developing a debugger myself, or um, or just biting the bullet and saying you only get a debugger if you use the ultimate edition of IntelliJ. So, but that is something I would like to I would like to add down the line, definitely. Um, so actually, maybe from a different point of view, like why did you even start working on Cursive? So, so the story was, I, um, in my previous job, I was a Java developer um, doing sort of fairly typical enterprise Java development. We did a, uh, we developed a transaction processing system, and I, I guess, so I had a lot of the typical problems that you would kind of expect. Like there was a lot of concurrency and a lot of mutable state, and we, we experienced a lot of the pain that Clojure was designed to, to solve basically. And so I. Um, I was very interested in investigating that. So when that job finished, I decided I was going to take a sabbatical and just just sort of work on some interesting things for a bit because that had been quite stressful. And I was keen to investigate Clojure, but I really didn't want to go back to using Emacs. I'd been using IntelliJ for ages for, for Java, and I was totally convinced that it was how I wanted to develop my code. So... Um, so there was an open source plugin for Clojure that was developed by some of the JetBrains guys in their spare time, and I think also on their twenty percent time um, at, at actually working at JetBrains. But it, it was fairly well abandoned; they weren't really doing anything with it at the time. Um, so in the end, I started working on that and upgrading it. Um, and then I, I just wondered if, since it was something that I wanted, whether it was something that other people would want as well. So so I asked a bit on the mailing list about whether people would be interested in paying for a for a commercial IDE, so uh, I guess one thing I didn't mention at the beginning is that Cursive is actually a commercial product. That is, it's my, it, it's the main thing I work on, and it's how I how I pay my bills. So, um, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just wasn't sure whether it was something that people would pay for. Um, so I asked around a bit, and there was a a few people who said that they would. So I decided to go ahead with it, and and in the end, it's worked out really well. Like the response to it has been really fantastic, um, and and it does actually pay my bills. So um, yeah, so it's it's great. Right. So as we are at it, so what's the cost for getting a cursive license? So um, so it depends what you're doing with it. So I do actually have a free non-commercial license. So if you're if your work is not commercial in nature, so say you're just like learning or you're just playing around with Clojure or Clojure Script, so sort of personal hacking, that sort of thing, you can just go to my website and get a free license and use it for that. Or if you're doing open source work, for example, 
um, or if you're a student, um, academic work, that sort of thing. Anything you're not being paid for, basically, you don't have to pay me for. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you are doing commercial work, you can either get a personal license or your company can buy, you, can buy a commercial license. So a personal license is something that an individual developer has and that has their name on it. Uh, and that's a hundred dollars, hundred US dollars, or ninety-nine US dollars. Um, mm -hmm. And then a, a commercial license for a company is one hundred and ninety-nine, and that has the company's name on it. And the company can then pass that license between developers, you know, as they come and go and move between projects, whatever. Is that a yearly cost or? Um, so the license is perpetual. Uh, the way it works is you, you buy the license and then you get a year of upgrades from it. And then after a year, you don't get any more upgrades. If you if you do want to continue getting upgrades, then you do have to pay again, but it, it's cheaper than when you first bought it. So it starts out being half the initial purchase cost and then that gradually goes up a bit over time up to yeah, a maximum right. of 75%, I think, of the original purchase cost. Yeah. So. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. So, I mean, people, there are people who just get a copy of Cursive and then um, stick on it for ages. It's it, there. There is a relationship between the version of Cursive and the version of the underlying IntelliJ platform. So sometimes you may have to upgrade Cursive just because you um, just because you want to upgrade IntelliJ, basically. Because I can only I can only maintain compatibility with so many IntelliJ releases. So I've committed to com to maintaining compatibility with the last two years of IntelliJ releases. So. But th there may come a time if you've had cursive for more than two years that you want to upgrade IntelliJ and then you have to upgrade cursive as well. But but yeah, it seemed, it's good. I think I didn't want to go to a su to subscription licensing, so I tried to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And um, and people in general seem pretty happy with it. I think. Right. Uh, so okay. So we got the cursive. Uh, we were we get the IntelliJ and we mm -hmm. install the cursive plugin. So what mm -hmm. would be the development workflow? Um, so I guess one thing that's different between Cursive and, and a lot of the other editors, a lot of the other editors are very much kind of file-based, so you would open up a file and kind of start hacking with it. So because IntelliJ and, and thus Cursive as well is based, on, um, is based on static analysis, it really needs to know about all the dependencies of your project. And it, it, it's very much kind of project-focused rather than file-based. So it's not something that you would open up just a single file to, to hack around in. Um, so, so your workflow, say you want to start a new project, I mean, you just create a new project within, um, within IntelliJ. So, you know, you say new project and then you can select, you want to create a, a closure project. You can say whether you want to create it with, um, with Liningen or with Deps or whatever. And then you go through and, and then that will just give you a basic kind of empty project. And if you, if you have an existing project, you can just import it and that will give you more or less the same, the same thing. So. So it does need to understand um, your your whole sort of project structure, basically. So where the source folders are and that sort of thing. So everything that's kind of described in in like a Liningen project CLJ, IntelliJ really needs to know about that in order to be able to do its thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that would be one of the main differences that some people um, might be used to. But I think once people actually start doing doing serious work with a product, they nearly always actually set up a whole project in there anyway. So, right. So, I mean, so the basic flow would be you'd, you'd set up your project and then you can create your namespaces and so on. Um, so one interesting thing about Cursive is that because it, because it works by static by statically analyzing source code rather than um, introspecting the ripple, you can actually do quite a lot without um, without without having the ripple running. Um, so if you're using something like Emacs, for example, I mean your workflow is pretty much you you know you open your file or your project or whatever, you run your ripple, and then you start editing. Whereas cursive, you can actually get pretty far without a ripple running if you want to. 
Um, so, right, so you open your project, you probably start your Ripple because you do want to play around with it. And then um, the, I guess the workflow is probably similar to what it would be in most editors. I mean, you can create namespaces and move code around within them, send code to the Ripple, evaluate things. You can type directly into the Ripple if you want to. Um, and so I think the the general kind of workflow is pretty similar to, to what people would expect from Clojure editors these days. Okay, so when I uh, so when we talk about like editing closure, maybe there's just a couple of things uh, that are worth to mention. So how about the uh, parent inferior or par- parent interference? Right. So um, so Cursive has had par edit support for for a long time um, since I started really because it was it was really the only thing that was around at the time. Um, I did actually spend a lot of time about a year or so ago. And, uh, integrating Parinfer as well. So I had an initial version of Parinfer um, when it first came out, well, like a couple of years ago. And that was when there were still the two different modes for Parinfer and you had to switch between them. Um, but then I, I was always convinced that there should be some kind of hybrid mode that you didn't have to switch. And eventually Sean, um, Sean worked on that right. and that's, um, that's now the smart mode. Um, and that's that's really the only that's the only Parinfer mode available in Cursive now, um, and and it's actually great. So I think Cursive probably has one of the most one of the most sophisticated Parinfer uh, implementations. So it works really well. There's still there are still some quirks and edge cases in it, which is just uh, it it was quite tricky to get it to work with IntelliJ um, because. Parinfer was sort of developed with a sort of editor mentality in mind that the user basically has a single file open and that they're working on it and that most of the changes are coming from the user typing. And in IntelliJ, that's not the case because it has this concept of a project. If you do something like a refactoring, for example, you can rename a symbol and that will rename usages or definitions or whatever in other files. And it can be across many, many files in a big project. And so, if you're using Parinfer, it has to it has to actually update all those files as well, and that that was quite tricky to to get that working. But but it works really well now. So I, I actually use Parinfer myself now. I, I was I'm pretty good with Paredit, but um but I now use Parinfer just because it's easier basically. And uh, um so so yeah, so it has those two, and then and then you can turn turn you can turn all that off if you want to as well. Right. No, I, I also love Parinfer. For me, it's always like, it just feels so natural somehow to move the code with Parinfer, which is like backspace tab and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. And, and especially with smart mode, when it, it sort of adjusts the indentation of following forms and things, it's very, it just feels very natural. Right. Um, what about any kind of uh, code linting? So I believe it's just normal installation like a CLJ Condo or Joker, right? So, um, right, so CLJ Condo does actually work with, uh, um, and it's actually quite nice. I, I didn't realize you could do this. So there's a plugin in IntelliJ called File Watchers. Um, so on the CLJ Condo wiki, there's some some docs about how to set that up. And it's actually quite nice because it will actually basically lint the file in, um, asynchronously in real time and uh, um, and show the errors in the editor. So so that that's quite slick. But Cursive also has um, has its own sort of analysis. So it will show you... Things like when local variables are unused, um, in certain circumstances when global symbols are unused as well. So if you're calling a function with the wrong arity, it will show you that in the editor. So so there's quite a lot of that built into Cursive itself, and I'd actually like to build in more functionality like what CLJ Condo provides directly into Cursive. So, I mean, 
one of my main objectives with cursive is to try to make the whole experience as easy as possible because i think particularly particularly earlier in the um in the sort of closure ecosystem and and particularly the closure the closure script ecosystem there was a lot of incidental complexity getting everything working um mm-hmm. you know just getting ripple set up and getting it all sort of working together was quite hard and i've really tried as hard as i can to um just to make it as easy as possible so so i really like things to work out of the box if possible so people don't have to know about plugins and install them and worry about them working with the base platform and so on so so i would like to actually um do some of that but so at the moment right the, the basically there's what cursive provides internally and then I, I think clj condo is probably the only other other thing that works i mean you can use things like um eastwood as well on your project but there's nothing actually integrated into cursive for that mm-hmm Right. Um, so let's go back maybe to the REPL. So um, the REPL support for closure projects, this is using which kind of REPL? Um, so at the moment, there's there are two sorts in there. So I'm actually, I'm just working on the, um, I'm working on the REPL integration at the moment. So actually by the time this is broadcast, I'm hoping it'll be, there'll be a lot more options. But so what there's been in Cursor for quite a long time is good support for NREPL and also support for closure main REPLs. So the one that's been missing for quite a long time is, um, is support for the socket REPL. Um, and that's what I'm adding now and as part of that. So Cursive also, I mean, until quite recently, hasn't had a lot of support or direct integrated support for ClojureScript ripples. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're using nripple with ClojureScript via piggyback, then it all works pretty well because as far as Cursive's concerned, it's more or less the same as, as talking to JVM Clojure at that point. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, then then there's sort of a bit more setup and a bit more interaction with the host required. And that's what I'm adding at the moment. So hopefully by the time this is broadcast, there'll actually be, there should be support for the socket ripple built in and also native support for closure script ripples. So um, what, the, the way I, the way I envision this working and, and I'm pretty sure I can actually make this happen um, <laughs> is to actually have, you'll be able to say, you know, I just want a closure ripple. I just want a closure script ripple, or I'd like a dual, Clojure and Clojure script ripple, and that a lot of people do that when they're developing, particularly their front end and back end in Clojure and Clojure script. Um, they tend to run it all in the same JVM. So, just by creating new sessions on the same ripple connection, um, we should be able to do that. And then, uh, so I think Emacs already does some of this. I think Emacs, if, if you can have a dual rip and op- ripple open, and if you send Clojure script, it'll go to the Clojure script ripple, and if you send Clojure, it'll go to the Clojure ripple, and if you send CLJC, it'll go to both. So Cursive doesn't do that at the moment, but again, hopefully by the time people are listening to this, it will do. So is there anything that is maybe not so well known in the uh, in the Clojure community regarding Cursive? So, yeah, yeah. So I think um, so. One of the things, one of Cursive's real strengths that I think is not is not as well known as it probably should be, um, is uh, it has really good support for Java interop, for JVM interop. Um, so again, because it's built on IntelliJ, which is a Java ID, and that has a lot of a lot of knowledge of the sort of Java semantics of the of the project, I can actually take advantage of that. And um, and so Cursive actually one of the really nice things when you're using a Java IDE for Java is that you can you can sort of explore the APIs using the autocomplete because IntelliJ has very sophisticated support for only auto-completing the right things in the right places with the right types mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But it's very easy to sort of explore an API like that. And I wanted to try and recreate that for 
for closure as well. And there were a couple of things that were quite tricky about that. One is that um, that is usually what's well, fundamentally based on having the types available, which which often you don't in closure. Particularly, they're not obvious. They're not always immediately obvious in the source code. The types and um, they're they're always there under the hood, but they're not always um, they're not always very visible, I guess, in the project. And and the other thing is that the prefix notation actually makes completion quite hard because if you if you imagine you're you're writing an interop to a Java method, you ha- you know you have dot my method, and then the object comes after that, and but you need the type of the object in order to be able to complete the method, which is the bit that comes first. Mm-hmm. So there are, so to in order to solve the problem with types, um, Cursive actually performs the same, more or less the same type inference in the editor as Clojure itself does in the compiler. So that means that um, if you assign to a local variable, for example, the result of calling a method, then um, then Cursive knows what the type of that is, and that will be propagated through the code as you're doing it. And um, so the way that... Uh, what that means is that cursive actually knows the types of a lot of things in the code, even though they're not explicitly stated. And that you can make that better by using type hints, obviously, as well. Um, and then, in order to get around um, the swapping thing, what you can actually do is you can, um, when you create, when you're calling a method, you can say object and then dot my method or whatever. And because you put the object first. Uh, cursive has the information it knows in order to complete the um, the method, and then when you actually autocomplete that, it, it'll swap the two around to make it a valid interop call. Um, so it's quite nice. You can actually so using that, you get much better um, much better support for for exploring Java APIs basically because uh, again the completion is actually based off the real type of the thing. Um, and again, this is something that I've demoed a few times at conferences, but I don't, I don't actually have that documented, which I really should do, because I think it's extremely useful. I mean, Cursive is just one big interop project. So Cursive itself was actually written partly in Clojure, partly in Kotlin, and then there's some old Java code kicking around. But it's all, um, it's all basically JVM interop. So, so I use this all the time, and I think that's something that probably a lot of other people, a lot of people don't know about. Um, and I, another thing is again because because it works with static analysis and it um, what's well, something that someone commented to me the other day actually when they just started trying cursive after after using Emacs I think they'd used previously um, was that it was really nice working with Clojure script code to be able to get a lot of support from the underlying Google Clojure library so again um, when cursive can actually resolve the interop elements to um, to the source files that they come from then you can do things like you can get the documentation you can get better better auto completion it's not as good as on the JVM because you, there there are even fewer types in JavaScript than there are in uh, um, in JVM Clojure code um, but yes, so I think you can that you can navigate around within the um, within the the Google Closure code and and get documentation for it and whatnot while you're actually editing, and I think that's really nice as well. Um, and again, that's something that's it's much more difficult to reproduce in a Ripple-based editor, I think, because you need it needs to be able to understand the JavaScript code, and the JavaScript code doesn't exist at runtime, so uh, in the same way that um, the JVM code does. Mm-hmm. All right. You just mentioned that part of this is developed in Kotlin and in Java. So how is Cursive developed? So right. So th- there is 
when I first started migrating this, this, the original plugin that I started from, the open source one, um, that was actually all written in Java. But because I was, what I really wanted to do was actually just explore Clojure a little bit. Um, I didn't want to be doing that. So the new bits that I started writing, I started writing them in Clojure itself. Um, there are some, in some ways, Clojure is actually not a great language for doing it. Some it works really well for some parts of cursive, but not for others. And so, um, because IntelliJ, in order to try and keep startup um, snappy and just for general performance, it will not load. Uh, it has all this sort of deferred loading infrastructure where it will only load classes for for plugins for particular bits of the implementation when they're actually used. Um, and that that deferral of the loading is actually quite difficult to achieve with Clojure. Um, so, so I've started working on a mix, basically. So, so some of the code, basically all of the code that um, is working on Clojure itself that isn't needed to be loaded at startup, most of that is now in Clojure. Um, but I do use a lot of Kotlin as well. Um, so all the bits that it doesn't make sense to do in Clojure are now in Kotlin. And and I like Kotlin a lot. Kotlin's a really nice language as well. So I, I enjoy I enjoy the combination of the two. Is it mainly you working on this, or is there more people? Yeah, it's just me at the moment. Um, I I have thought about uh, getting somebody else, but Cursive doesn't really make enough for me to hire another another person to work on it full time at the moment. I may particularly around um, around some of the Clojure script stuff because that JavaScript is not really an ecosystem that I know very well. I mean, I've I've known I've worked in Java for a long long time, but. Uh, but I've never really done a lot of very serious JavaScript work, and and it's just a massive, massive, very confusing ecosystem. So, um, I mean, just the the list of all the build tools, and I don't know Grunt yeah. and Gulp and Bower and Babel and all this stuff. I I mean, I only have the very vaguest idea what all of it is. So, um, yeah. and and so. Yeah. And so I'm learning more about it bit by bit. So again, because Cursive does the the static analysis, I'd, one thing I haven't that I'm working on now also is adding support for getting dependencies from Node, which Clojure Script has supported for a while. Shadow CLJS does this, but in order to do that, I have to understand more about Node and how the modules work and and this sort of thing. Mm. So so that that's that's quite a challenge for me. So um, if I if I do get someone on on a contract basis or something, it'll be someone who understands all that much better than I do. I think. Yeah, you should hit up Thomas for that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, person. yeah. I mean, he, he definitely uh, he definitely knows a lot more better than I do, that's for sure. Right. Um, so, what were the biggest problems in developing Cursive? Maybe some you know worst stories that you have. I've actually I've been surprisingly I, I thought it would be difficult to develop on IntelliJ because IntelliJ was was originally sort of conceived as a Java IDE, and then they broke it out and they they added support for Ruby and for Python. And, and a lot of these languages, and, and I'd I'd expected a lot more problems um, integrating a language that's really quite different to those into it. But in fact, I haven't had too many problems with that. Um, integrating Liningen was was very was very very difficult. That, that was something that I thought would would not take very long, but in the end, took like six months of pain basically to to actually get it to integrate again because because. I, I have to call into Liningen at quite a sort of deep level, um, mostly for performance, because I guess a lot of people when they use Liningen, they sort of think of of a Liningen project, and you just have a single a single project CLJ and a little bit of code. But once a, a lot of my customers are large companies, and they have these, so one and one of them I spoke to, they have like eighty project 
um, 80 modules, so 80 sort of project CLJs, which are all conceptually part of the same project. And Cursive has to be able to import all of that in some sort of reasonable timeframe. Um, and so, so for, for performance reasons, I try to actually um, read the project CLJ files in the in the cursive process but that's actually extremely difficult to do because lining and just wasn't really sort of conceived of and working in that way um so if, if you're doing something slightly unusual with lining and it can be quite um quite inflexible basically and it was uh that would that was just really really difficult and again the, the other thing that was extremely difficult uh, much more difficult than i expected was actually integrating par and fur um mm-hmm. the new version of par and fur because because again it was it was sort of thought of with a different conceptual model than the way IntelliJ works. Uh, and IntelliJ is, is very, it's very asynchronous. It, it, you know, it will, mo- it will make changes to files that aren't open in editors and so on. And, um, and that it was just, it was amazingly difficult to make all that work properly. Um, mm. it, it does seem to work pretty well now, but that was definitely, I, I would say those two things were, were probably the most, the most painful things I, I've had to integrate in mm. Cursive. Right. Maybe on the other side. So was there anything that you were surprised that you were quickly able to pull off and put it inside Clojure? Maybe be uh, cursive? Um, so some of the static analysis stuff, actually. Um, so, so when I first presented cursive, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to show off some of the things that that people would sort of maybe know from IntelliJ, and and one of the really great things that in IntelliJ is it has a system of inspections, which again is is sort of code linting in real time while you're editing your code, and and I'd always planned to add that, but I hadn't really done it, and so actually on on the plane, I, I live in New Zealand, and I was going to I was going to speak in Washington, and. Um, and so on the plane, which is quite a long plane ride, to be honest, but uh, right. um, but I still managed to add um, warnings when uh, when you call a function with the wrong arity and that sort of thing, and it, and it appears in real time in the editor. It gets updated when you uh, when you change it. I mean, it, it's really that the infrastructure that IntelliJ provides is really fantastic, and I was actually amazed by how easy that was. Um, so I'm hoping to just sit down and if I, I think if I spend a couple of weeks, um, I'll be able to actually add a lot more of those at some point soon. All right. Is there anything, uh, so you mentioned a couple of things that you want to add for ClojureScript uh, in general. Where, is the, where, is, where do you try to uh, take Cursive next? Well, so, right. So uh, the main thing I'm working on at the moment is better ClojureScript support. Um, so I'd, ideally, I'd like to get to a stage where you can just where you can just click a button and get a ripple. Um, and that, that I think, has is, is traditionally been quite difficult in ClojureScript. Um, and, and, I mean, so I actually, I used some ClojureScript myself just because I, I I had never actually used it and I thought I should use it for something just to, to kind of dog food Cursive. So so when people buy licenses for Cursive, that actually goes through AWS Lambda and that's running some ClojureScript code on there in a, in a node, um, in a node Lambda. Um so, but, but I actually, for the longest time, I didn't use a Ripple for that work at all because it was just too complicated to set it up. It's actually, it's it's reasonably easy now to get a Ripple set up, especially if you're using piggyback, but I'd like to make that whole thing much easier. Um, one of the problem with ClojureScript Ripples is there's just a lot of different options about how to do it. There's a lot of different ways that they work under the scenes. There's a lot of different targets. There's, there's a lot of things that people have to choose um, and so w- one of the big things I want to try and do is just to provide sensible defaults. So somebody who, 
who has decided that they want to learn some Clojure script um, and they, they just want to be able to get an editor and actually start working, that they should hopefully be able to just click a button and get something that allows them to do that. Um, I, you know, quite apart from a sort of technical issue, it's also a sort of user interface issue. How do you actually present all the different options to the user in a way that's sort of understandable? Um, so even on the closure side, that's still quite difficult. I mean, I have, you know, I'm adding socket ripple now. So there's like, um, there's in ripple, there's a closure main, there's a socket ripple, and then you can either run it via Linegan or you run it via depth, or you just run it with a standard class path. And then there are various sort of options around all of those as well. And, and it gets quite messy quite quickly. And with closure script, I think that's going to be even worse. So, so ideally I'd like to, to hide as much of that complexity as possible and just to try to make it a robust experience so that um, you know you, you don't end up spending a couple of days just trying to get things working. Um, right. So so that's one of the main things I'm working on. And then once I've done that, there's some more general support which applies to Clojure and Clojure Script, which is just the better static analysis that we spoke about and, um, and better refactorings as well. So, so there are some refactorings in Cursive already. And, and the nice thing, again, because it's based on working with source code rather than working with a REPL, that actually the refactorings that are there actually work for Clojure and Clojure Script already because the source looks more or less the same, basically. Um, so I'd like to I'd like to um, fix the missing refactorings there and also um, yeah improve the static analysis story. Mm -hmm. And if I end up in Cursive and I have some problems, where would I reach out for support? So there's a there's a cursive channel in in the Clojurian Slack. That's that's probably my main support ticket. But people also um, the support channel. But people also um, they do send me um, things on Twitter. People can write me an email. It's just cursive at cursive-ide.com. Um, probably the first place to stop off would be the would be the Slack channel. Um, mm -hmm. okay. But but I, I do reply to email as well. And then I also have an issue tracker that um, people can just file issues in as well. Cool, and I think that will be maybe a good point to finish. And for anyone interested in cursive, uh, I would encourage you just to get a license and help Colin just make this uh, the best ID out there. Uh, so Colin, thank you so much for being here. That's great. Thanks very much for having me, Jason. It's been fun. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshe.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.